What's up, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners? Today, you're going to be hearing an interview that I actually thought was pretty good. I, I go on a lot of these interviews, and there's a lot of lame podcasts and a lot of even lamer podcast hosts that just don't ask very good questions and puts me to sleep because I keep saying the same thing over and over again. But this particular one was pretty good, and I think it would be a good one to share with friends. Again, if you guys are in the Investor Club, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, sign up there for free. You guys want to get one of the free e-courses, what we do to incentivize you guys to share with friends is if you email team at simplepassivecashflow.com and CC your friend with the intro and possibly give them this podcast. I think it's a great introduction to what we're all about here at Simple Passive Cashflow. And it's going to talk about a lot of the mistakes that we see regular people making with their money. So check out, um, make sure you're not doing any of these types of things or making steps in the right directions. Kind of all we ask. But yeah, thanks for you guys who have referred your guys' friends in. Today, like I'd say half of the people that we have coming in to the group are referrals from their friends. And it's funny, like a lot of you guys who listen to the podcast a lot, you guys are the ones reading everything, listening to everything. Your referrals just trust you guys out there for some strange reason. You're probably that one person in your friend group that Every, your other friends know as the person who like reads up on all this stuff and is the financial guru guy out of your group. But often it's not what you know, but it's who you know. I've talked to a lot of very astute high-level investors that are completely honest with me when they book their free strategy call. And they're like, you know what? I don't really know about this investing or all the technicalities, but I just trust my friend who does. And that's the way I roll, which kind of seems a little irresponsible at first when you start to think about it you're just falling the full back into the end zone but you know what these guys get into the end and i think that's what's hard like at least speaking from my own personal experience like growing up in a family where parents weren't accredited i didn't have any accredited friends or anything like that or my circle just didn't have any of these types of people i had to definitely pay to play to get into the circle of accredited purely passive investors which is the group that we've created today and if you're in the investor club, you guys do get um, spot chances to interact with our accredited investor database from time to time when I do tra travel. We are planning another tour in Huntsville later this summer. Hopefully you guys can meet, come out to that, visit some properties, break some bread, hang out a little bit, and maybe you might do something in California. But by the end of the year, we'll probably be doing that um, retreat that we always do. Haven't got the page set up yet, but you guys can check out last year's site and the years before at simplepassivecashflow.com slash hui4, H-U-I, the number four. But yeah, here's the interview and enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. I know that you have talked about the counterintuitive ways that the wealthy have created their wealth and make money. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I followed this whole linear path of go to school, become an engineer, get a job. Part of that path is investing in that dang 401k. I've been investing since 2009 and very quickly I realized what a sham that is. And I might be upsetting some people, but... Maybe you should get upset you know, or you shouldn't get upset. You should ask, what's the reason why? Because I'm standing here. I'm not working my engineering job anymore because I got smart. And I realized that if I just invested in real estate, I'd make money four ways. 
mortgage pay down, appreciation, tax benefits, and the cash flow. And when I put my math to it, I was making like 20, 30% of my money every year on that stuff. If you don't believe me, you can go to my video where I do a whiteboard exercise and break down the math for you. Uh, simple passive slash returns. But I was like, why the heck would I want to make eight to 10% only and not in that 401k stuff? Makes no sense to me. And I discovered this whole sh sham where they want exactly want us to do that stuff. They they want us to invest in this stuff because if everybody just followed what I did and bought a handful of rentals, they'd be financially independent. Who would build our bridges? Who would get our coffee? Who would do surgeries for us? Maybe some people would, but vast majority would peace out. They would be out of that stuff. And that's just one of the things, the counterintuitive things that the wealthy do, including I'm not a big fan of buying a house to live in and the whole argument for retirement accounts too. I'm sure you get this a lot, but you sound a lot like Robert Kiyosaki. He also talks about follow the path, go to college, get a safe, secure job with benefits, uh, as in do not do it. And uh, he also talks about the stock market and 401k. Could you hone in a little bit more into why do you not like 401ks? When I invest, I pulled out my money out of my 401ks, Roths, and stuff like that, because I wanted to invest cash for four main reasons. First reason is I think you and I, Raj, we're going to be making more money in the future. Therefore, we're going to be in a higher tax bracket in the future. So I would rather pay my taxes today and pay my, get it out while I'm in the lower tax bracket today. Secondly, I want just look where this country is going with all these government entitlement programs. How else we're going to pay for it? Majority of it is going to be inflation. That's another topic. And by the yeah. way, that real estate is the answer for that. You got to raise taxes. So taxes are going to be going up. Therefore, again, pay your taxes today. Get it out of that stuff where the government essentially has a full lien on whatever you got in your retirement accounts. Thirdly, I'm not going to retire when I'm 65, 70 or whenever they say I can get out that money retirement now so i'd like to get it. i don't need to use it but i want access to it i don't want it to be locked up but don't put me in a category with other people out there that are unable to save money i don't need to be in that cruise ship and then lastly here's the big kicker right people will argue you get your money in this retirement account supposedly it's gross tax-free which it does but if you're investing cash outside your retirement account in real estate the dang thing should be tax-free anyway and the big kicker is if you're investing in deals that do cost segregation, gives bonus appreciation, you should be getting a heck of a lot more losses to offset the, the gains and even at that investment. And this is where we get into even more wealth building strategies of the wealthy. Like I personally don't pay taxes and that sounds a jerk move, but I invest a heck of a lot of money into this society. And that's what the government wants. The tax code is written to incentivize folks like my, me and you guys to invest your money do things, tactics such as cost segregation to get a lot of passive activity losses and pay little to no taxes. And you don't get that levers unless you invest cash and you get those passive activity losses. 100%. I totally agree with you. And I also would like to say that if you can save on your taxes, you should save on the taxes. Legally, that is. Absolutely. And if you want to give back to the society, then go do charity, but don't try to say that people should pay more taxes. At least that's my opinion. Yeah. The way I look at it is like the government is like, there's these incentives for you to do what they want you to do. They want me to invest in workforce housing and buy assets that 
create this economic multiplier. So I do that. I'm not a dummy. I may not read the whole IRS thing, but I have professionals that do it for me and guide me. And I work with them to guide me to what actions I need to take place. I don't worry about the politics. I just worry about what I should do is best for me. And I guess what I'm trying to say here is if you invest, you don't do any of the stuff that the government wants you to do. Yeah, man, you got to pay taxes. All of us have to pitch in to repair the potholes in the street, pay city, state workers, right? That's what you got to do, right? If you're just another Joe Blow average guy out there investing in non-tax advantage stuff that the government doesn't is lukewarm on, then yeah, bro, you got to pay taxes. You're a straight shooter, Lane. I like your authentic self. That's very good. I keep it fun because sometimes the stuff can get really dry and boring, especially the tax stuff. And in 2015, I had 11 turnkey rentals and realized that there's nothing passive about direct ownership in rental properties. This coming from an accredited investor perspective. Our group these days are mostly accredited investors, strictly looking for syndication deals for a purely passive investment strategy. One part of my portfolio is the American Home Owner Preservation, or what folks in the Hui call AHP. George Dewberry, once apartment investor and mentor to myself, is now sponsoring podcasts for the fourth year in a row. His private note fund, which by the way also accepts non-accredited investors, cuts out the middlemen and allows you to invest directly with him to fight the mortgage crisis in America. Feel good knowing that you are helping families stay in their home after buying their underwater note at a huge discount. Join him by purchasing distressed mortgages while cashing your distribution check on a monthly basis. Find something else better out there? Just let me know. Invest as little as $100 by going to ahptitle.com. And if you want the free burn zone book, claim it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash AHP. And don't forget to join our private investor club to get more insider access. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. I don't know if you've heard this, but at some place, somebody was saying, somebody I really respect, that bulk of the tax code is dedicated to how to save on the taxes, the deductions and the credits. And it's only the first 50 or 60 pages that talk about how to pay taxes. So tax code is big and complicated, but most of it is dedicated to saving taxes. Yeah, it is what it is. Some people also say that it's like the politicians slipping in there what they want. They're all wealthy. They know what's up. I don't care. I don't care about all this like stories or urban legends. I don't care. I understand what the system is. I understand the game and I play the game. And I think that's what everybody needs to do out there because taxes is your number one expense of life. You cannot leave it up to your CPA. Your CPA is not equipped to know your situation, what you're investing in, what kind of deals, risk reward profiles, what, when you're getting your passive losses, when you're exiting said deals, and hopefully you're in a multitude of different deals. That is nothing that a CPA should be doing for you. That is your responsibility, folks out there. You need to empower yourself to have the educated conversation with your tax professional. Lane, I love when, when you say that you don't complain and these are the rules and you play the rules. So when you're playing a game of cards, you play the hand that you dealt. That's it. That's how you win. Right. All right. <clears throat> you know that we have established some of the rules that the rich follow to create wealth and make money. Could you also talk about they're working professionals. They may know the rules, but they don't have the time or the expertise, even though they know what's the better way to invest. So could you talk to us a little bit about passive investing for working professionals? 
I, I was working as an engineer way back when, 2007. And I bought my first rent on 2009. At the time, my net worth is under half a million bucks. So to me, the name of the game is just buying rental properties. I, I don't think that you have enough net worth to be able to go into syndications and private placements, even though there are most syndications out there. If you go to the Egder SEC website are for non-accredited investors. You just need to be in the private network of said syndicator sponsor. But I think it's important for investors, especially lower on the net worth scale, to invest in rental properties to understand the business, understand how this is done so that when you finally do look at a pitch deck, you're not totally oblivious to the marketing shams and just every deal looks good when it's on a shiny PDF. For a lot of accredited investors, guys who make six figures and above, you're right, like the time it takes to buy a rental property, even a turnkey rental where they fix up the property for you, put an tenant in there for you. For what? Like a measly few hundred bucks, a cash flow a month. So in 2015, I had 11 rental properties. I went down that turnkey rabbit hole for quite some time. And with 11 rentals, it was cool. I had $300 a cash flow per property. So $3,000 a month. Not, I'm not complaining. I was in my late 20s at the time. That was pretty decent, pretty good. Not to be ungrateful or anything like that, but I don't know what American family can survive off three grand. You're going to need three times that. So with 11 properties, I had an eviction or two every year, some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter, like a plumbing repair or, or a tree falling on the house, had all the trees or something like that. If, if you need 30 houses, then now you're talking about an eviction every other month and some kind of big tree every other week. It just becomes unscalable, even with professional property management to do your dirty work for you. So that's where I found syndications and private placements shortly after 2015, uh, when I hit that inflection point and became more of an accredited investor. Okay. And you are a syndicator yourself now. So could you talk to me about your journey from that point to becoming a syndicator? Yeah. So I was in my late twenties and I wasn't quite yet a credit investor. I think I wasn't quite there, but I was on the path for sure. And I was on, certainly on the path to retire from my day job as an engineer before I was 40 by being a passive LP partner. So that's what I eventually did initially. I was, why do I want to take on all the stress and do all these spinning plates? And there's a, what a lot of investors don't realize there's a huge gap between LPs and the general partners. It's not just one level. It's like at your guy's job. There's more, usually two rungs or two salary codes between you and your boss. You got to go somewhere else and come back if you want to reincarnate as your boss. Same thing as general partners. So that's what I went as LP because I knew how to analyze deals. I had gone through a coaching where they taught us how to do that. I felt like I was a really good passive investor, much more than I was able to take profit and loss statements, rent rolls, run my own comps, and then put into my analyzer and just spot check the sponsor and operator. Are they being conservative with the deal? And I'm really getting what the performance said it was. And I was able to run it independently. And I went down that LP path because I was like, well, if I could just, maybe I don't double my money every five years or something like that. Maybe if I just grow my money at a conservative 12 to 14% IR, yeah, I'll be able to quit my day job mobile farm 40. And that was the goal initially, was just to put my oxygen mask on and not have to go to that job that I didn't like. Because a lot of people wanted to just copy me and just follow me into deals. That's how I found myself in the general partner facet. And then I realized that operating deals, if people are around you and will help you and train you, isn't that difficult? 
it's not difficult, but it's something that like any guru program won't teach you. So eventually I transitioned into more of a general partner role. And today I currently operate 4,500 rental properties. So it's been, maybe it's taken five years to get there. What I'm thinking is that something that struck me when you were telling me your story, that you started with a net worth of about half a million dollars. Now you're at about four and a half thousand units across what, 12 states. What role did your mindset play in this journey and your success? And could you talk to us about that transformation from beginning to end? It's gone through a couple of inflection points. When I had just a handful of rental properties in my earlier 20s, this is just in the beginning stages, I was working at a private company. And those people will know like private companies are a little bit more high stress, you get paid more. But I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I may only be making $1,000, $2,000 a month from these turnkey rentals, but my time here is ending. And then I soon was making more than my boss's boss. And I developed a bad attitude at work, gotta be honest. I, it's not like I was like walking around. Oh, maybe it was, maybe it did come across as that. But I eventually started to change jobs to more work for the government. A little bit more cruise jobs, a little bit more free time to do the real estate investing passively on the side. But I started to adopt a more mindset of where I didn't need to go to work, but I enjoyed the people. I kind of kind of didn't mind going to do the job, even though it didn't take that long every day of actively doing it. So I became a passive investor and passive W-2 worker at that point. And I think most investors find themselves at that point, at least people I work with, or at least maybe that's just the beginning stage where you start to realize like life becomes light, right? You, you realize you're on the fast path to financial freedom. It's not going to take 40, 50 years. You're on the 10 year pack plan. You just keep working this. You may not like your job, but at least it's not like super stressing you out. It's not everything to you because you have this proven system of buying rental properties and you're pulling yourself out of there. Things changed in 2016 when I started a podcast because originally it started, how do you buy turnkey rentals? Because all my buddies were asking me, how do you buy all these properties in like Birmingham and Atlanta? I never even visit the damn thing. How do you do that? And they, they'd waste my time. They'd ask me all these questions. And they'd never do anything. And I would get frustrated. I'm like, oh, you guys are wasting my time. I'm just going to record this thing and then you guys can listen to it if you're interested in taking action or not. So I did that. The thing got really popular and a lot of people were really like, like about a year later on 2017, the podcast got a lot of traction and they're like, yeah, I actually went and bought a rental property. Thank you very much. And I got a lot of these like emails and I was like, oh, this makes me feel good. And so that I think a lot of people, they move from this like scarcity to abundance mentality and mm -hmm. It's not that you're a bad person if you don't have it, but you need money to be abundant, in my opinion. I don't think, unless you're like a yogi that goes out in the mountains and it's truly abundant mindset, I don't think naturally you, you have it. I think it's good to have a little scarcity mindset in the beginning. This is like the immigrant mentality that a lot of people have, right? They, co they come to America. The immigrant mentality allows them to be frugal. They don't buy stupid stuff. They're frugal with their time, how they work for, mm -hmm. and it gets them off the ground. But after a while, maybe even your net worth gets to be half a million dollars or more, 
you start to develop that mindset, that operating system doesn't help you. It's like DOS going to Windows or something like that. So around when I had the 11 rentals, I saw the light at the end tunnel. I had a few thousand dollars of cash flow a month. I started to realize that at the time I was like in my mid to late twenties, I started to realize in my thirties, I'd be able to quit my day job. But then I screwed off. I was like, I'm just going to be like an internet, like guy just takes pictures of my Instagram food and travel, travel bloggers, you guys who aren't really quite financially free, but they appear to be right. You want to live their lifestyle. And then I did that maybe for a few weeks. And then I realized this is really lame. Like the guys, like the financial bloggers that are all into their index funds, they work their Silicon Valley job, then they go to Thailand and they live off their $1.25 million and they live super frugally on their index funds. And, and that's cool. If that's you guys, I think that's cool. Maybe you'll hit an inflection point in your life, but you get to a point where you're like, this is lame. Is this all that life is for? And most people, if you talk to the, the, the successful Maybe not the wealthy or unwealthy, but just the successful, the truly happy people. They've found ways to give back to other people and make the send the elevator back down or whatever saying you want to use, but find and find other people to help out along their journey. And that's what I clicked to that. And then we're here. That's fantastic. What I'm hearing is like couple of different stages of financial freedom. So number one, many people keep talking about financial media keeps talking about how most of the people have not enough money in their 401k accounts and they will never be able to retire and they'll work till they die. And you touched upon why you are not a big fan of 401k. And then the next stage is people who are able to retire, but on time. Then you talked about people who retire off on index funds, like they, are, they have a million and a quarter, a million and a half, and they retire in Thailand and they're living off on the 4% safe withdrawal rate. And then the next stage that you're talking about is, no, that's not enough for me. I wanna go back, I wanna create real wealth and I'm gonna send the elevator down and bring people along uh, for the ride. And, and I think when you get to that stage, like the, the next goal is to getting to four and a half million dollars net worth. A lot of people in my circle, we talk about that number because I think if you can withdraw at a 3% rate, you can have two nincompoop trust fund kids that are just totally do whatever. And it's really hard for them to screw that number up. But then here's something that I'm kind of, I'm not talking truly from experience, but I'm getting insight because I try and surround myself with a mastermind of people that are getting into this level. Like people do one or two things from here. And we're already talking about like the top 0.01% that even make it to four and a half million dollars net worth. Most people will get off of the bus there because it's cool. Four and a half million dollars. That's a great life. You can just peace out and do really whatever you want. Fly first class, have a very peaceful life. There are some people that, it's a very, it's a smaller minority of the minority that they get really passionate about something, whether it's dogs or helping out other people who went through trauma in their life. Or for me, it's, I'm just really upset that there's so many working professionals out there that just are duped by this like Wall Street nonsense and 401ks, buying a house to live in. And these are hardworking people. These are like my engineering brothers that were stuck in the basement while everybody's playing Frisbee in the quad. There's so many hard people out there, doctors that have to go to school for 15 years. And most of those guys will have to work for their entire life and never really get ahead. If they just bought a handful of rentals, they'd be able to be financially free. 
And that's my mission. And my hope is if I help enough people get to four and a half million dollars, they'll reach this like God level where it's like, they're like, I want to find some other way, right? And for them, it may not be helping them on the path to financial freedom, such as you, Raj, but it's, they like dogs or I don't know, they want to like cure cancer. I don't know what the heck they want to do, but maybe they realize that money is a platform or means to get there. So that sends them on this, like, now they have to keep the engines going. So at four and a half million dollars, if you think of a spaceship going into outer space, you've hit escape velocity. You can turn off the engine, you can cruise control for the rest of your life. But they realize that they need to keep the engines on and go and achieve eight figures. I think that's 10 million, right? Uh And that money is necessary to power this bigger purpose, legacy, whatever you want to call it. That's all I have privy to now. They always say, you don't know the next perch until you're there, but that's what I see at this point. I'm curious to know why you and your buddies in your network talk about four and a half million, not five, not six, not three. Is there a reason why specifically this number? I don't know. It's not as daunting as five to six. I don't know. I think the 3% withdrawal rate has something to do with it. If I just go like 3% of 4.5 million, that's... $135,000 $135,000 a year. That's, and if you have two kids, that's like a working man's salary, tax free. And 3% is pr- pretty pathetic, right? That's like the pace of inflation. Oh, yeah. But I, I'm more of a 4%. I think that you can easily withdraw 4% forever adjusted for inflation and never yeah. run out of the principles. I, I think I also come up with that number because I see a lot of. It's kind of like a voyeur in me. Like I see a lot of like financial profiles that come through when I'm like approving these PPMs and investor subscription docs. And I know what they make. I know how their spending habits are. And I know what their net worth is. And I'm just like, I see this come through like hundreds of times. And there's nothing really that surprises me. The only surprises are either somebody was whittled this money or they, they're a trust fund kid or they won the lottery. That's the only times it surprises me. But most times I know where people are and there's always that glass ceiling of four and a half million plus or minus a million or so. Okay. I'm very intrigued by your background. So tell us what pictures are we seeing here? Was this an event? I kind of run a family office, Ohana Mastermind, like a closed group of financial fanatic friends, accredited investors. I'm big on relationships and knowing everybody. That's just how I am. That's how it is here in Hawaii. Everybody knows each other. I surround myself with like-minded individuals along the same path as myself. A lot of people are working professionals, still working their day job. They make much more than six figures, net worth a million dollars or more, but you wouldn't know by exterior, right? Because they are first generation. They weren't born with their wealth. Their parents didn't have a million dollars and the first generation that's going to surpass that million dollar threshold. So it's very different than you go to the country club a lot of times. It's just people who are trust fund kids. And I went to private school. I know what this is all about. Most people are there because their parents have money. I don't know what the statistic is. Something like 90% of wealth leaves a family in two or three generations for good reason. Because people don't know how to make money legitimately. They know how to go to work for a salary. They don't know how to really truly make money and Certainly, they don't know how to make a legacy. Yeah, that's a known fact. We know that. 
So I'd like to go back to your comment about what is a good path to follow for working professionals. So you talked about 401k is not the best thing in the world. Then you talked about investing in rentals. Then you talked about investing as an LP. So what's your recommendation? One other or a combination of both. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. First off, if your guy's net worth is under half a million, don't buy a house to live in. That's a financial drag on you. And to me, I don't think you, people deserve to buy a house until their net worth is over two times what their house is worth, even if they're buying it with debt. But if people can listen to me or not, they're going to do what they want. But that's just one of my two cents. But so you take a guy who's under a quarter million, half a million dollars net worth, making able to save over five, ten thousand dollars a year, go buy a rental property, go buy a few, get learn the business, right? If you're more of an accredited investor, higher net worth, then look into syndications and private placements and surround yourself with a community of like-minded individuals who are also investing in this stuff so you can get in the the ethos. What do you say to people that invest in cryptocurrency? This is the future of the world economy. And if you're not investing there, you are being left out. Oh boy, you open up a can of worms there. Okay, so I am bullish on crypto. I think it is a disruptor. It takes power away from countries and the libertarian in me likes that. I think it, I like the technology thing. I think it's definitely an emerging asset class. But to me, I don't really want to take chances. I like real estate because it's a hard asset, produces cash flow, and I can leverage it pretty well with really government subsidized loans and the tax benefits are amazing. Those are three things that cryptocurrency is not. So the prescription I have in podcast land, you got a lot of like generalities and rules. So here's one of them, guys. If your net worth is over a million dollars, I think you can open up and play a little bit more with cryptocurrency. Obviously, we're not going to differentiate between the altcoins and more your bread and butter, your Bitcoin, Ethereum, or your stable coins. Uh, we're not going to get into that detail. But I would, a lot of people, they above a million dollars net worth, they, they don't typically go over 5 to 10% of their net worth. If you're lower net worth, to me, the prudent way is to do it like how I did. Buy a rental property, build your portfolio on prudent cash flow, and it just takes a while to get it going. But most people have this completely backwards. They go and gamble on cryptocurrency first, which to me, I don't agree with, but I can see if you're broke, you got to gamble a little bit too. So I see it both ways. But in, if, if I were to give my formal answer, like as your network goes up, you can take on more asymmetric risk type of deals such as crypto, right? Like I like investing in workforce style housing that's cash flowing day one, with a little bit of value add. It's nothing crazy. There's a great return and more importantly, capital preservation in there. And that's what I base my portfolio off of. I can sleep at night. I don't have to worry about it. But now that I'm more of an accredited investor, eh, I don't need the cash flow. Let's just let it ride. So I'm more inclined to go after more asymmetric risk deals, such as developments. I'm not a big fan of venture capital. I think that's just a crapshoot, total crapshoot even though maybe you could make more money. I'm just not into that. I, that's just not the type of investor I am. But as your net worth goes up, you start to get a little bit more ballsy with your investments, to use that technical term. And this is what trust fund kids and second, third generation wealth do. They just don't care because they don't know the value of the money. So they just gamble it on these sexy like developments or these asymmetric risk plays. And yeah, they'll probably do fine. 
But what do you do when your first generation wealth, your net worth is under a million dollars? You cannot sustain a loss. Well, you just got to build the slow, prudent way with cash flow and minor value add. Probably not what people want to hear because it's going to take time. It does. So what's the recommendation? So you talked about that you followed the path, right? So go to a good college, get good grades, get safe, secure, stable job. What is your prescription to a good life? I'm not a big fan of college and all that stuff. I hang my degrees upside down on the wall for a reason. And they're not displayed behind me. But you know what? I will admit that my engineering job allowed me to get paid pretty well out of college. And that was what I parlayed and threw into my investments to get me the lift off the ground. I do regret the time that I spent studying, but it was necessary to get that job and the, the salary. And I guess what people need to realize is what is your highest and best use, right? If you're already a doctor or a dentist, sorry, buddy, you're better off just doing the surgeries, keep working, because that's your best ability, your highest and best use to make money to then parlay into passive investing. We all have to trade time for money until we have enough money invested until our money works harder for us. The, the saying money never steeps is entirely true. It's just most people don't have their money working for them. Money should be working hard for you. So if you don't have money, sorry, man, you can't invest. This is real estate investing. You need money to invest. So most people are in the square one phase where they have to make money to, to invest it. For a lot of people, this thing, they're likely in that stage. But as you slowly move from ordinary income to passive income, you need to realize, is your spaceship going fast enough so that you can you hit escape velocity? And what is your escape velocity? It's different for everybody. I live a very frugal life here in Hawaii. I don't buy any stupid things other than a kind of nice car. I don't, know. I don't spend more than $1,000 on a car payment, but that's like my one vice, I guess. I don't buy a house to live in. I rent because to me, it makes total sense here and I can get a good deal on it. So I don't need to go very fast to hit my escape velocity, but everybody is different. So people should go to college, get good grades, get an active W-2 job so that they have money to invest. If, and if they're smart, if they're not very good academically, they should perhaps be an entrepreneur and try that route. I don't have kids where I can advise them accordingly, but if I had a dumb kid, I'd probably, hey man, like, I don't know, this psychology degree, poli-sci major, or this art, Asian history studies, maybe we should save the $50,000 a year and perhaps you should just try to be a landlord and try and, I'm not saying they should flip houses or anything like that, but this is what we help a lot of our, our folks do in our mastermind group is like, how do we groom the next generation to be a good steward of their wealth? But we have to get them to build skill sets and also show the ability to trade time for money to be a contributor to society before they step into full-time investor mode so that they appreciate the cash flow. Yeah. I was reading a book by Chris Hogan, and he talks about how he has spoken to 10,000 millionaires across the country. And one thing that he sees across the spectrum is that most, not all, but most of the millionaires didn't go to top colleges. And the way it is useful is that you don't want to come out of college paying down debt in the initial years of your life, because that's when you should be investing and your wealth should be compounding. And the longer your wealth compounds, the bigger the snowball effect you have. Right. I, I, he's entirely right. But I think that that statement is a little skewed data. 
I think it's no secret that if you ask most working professionals, those people will not really become millionaires unless they are extremely frugal, right? If they keep investing in the Wall Street garbage and doing everything that financial dogma says they're going to do, it's going to be really hard. They'll probably get over a million dollars. A million dollars is not that much money, but Mm -hmm. they certainly won't get the four and a half million dollars and achieve true financial independence. But what Chris Hogan is saying is, right, like, the majority of those people have beat that threshold, probably two and a half, three million dollars in the future, are people who've gotten off the path and stopped taking a salary. Now, I am a proponent, I'm an advocate for a lot of working professionals. Like for all those millionaires, there are probably 10 to 20 to 100 of guys who are just complete deadbeats that are entrepreneurs. This is 2020, 2021. Okay. If you're an entrepreneur in your LinkedIn profile, dude, I know you, you can't find a job. You probably don't have a college degree. Yeah, he's incredibly right. Most people who don't have the college degrees are going to be that higher stuff, but the hell of a lot of more people are going to be just total washouts. So that's why I like college because college has the ability to take average, below average people and run them through the system and they come out contributing helpers to society. They come out with a decent paying job and they will achieve a certain level of comfort in life with said job. Just to be clear, he talked about they go to college, but not to most expensive colleges. That's what he is saying. Okay. Yeah, I think college and high school are basic academia stuff. Like college is like the new high school, one could argue. You got to be have some level of aptitude to run a business or you know, even mm-hmm. invest in real estate. You don't need to be a rocket science, that's for sure. But college is not much these days. Everybody has a degree. Let's shift gears a little bit, Lane. In this climate, when everybody's talking about how it's a seller's market and the markets are becoming hot, tell me why do you like real estate in this climate? It's a fixed commodity. I think inflation is definitely coming. I already see it on the price I pay for a stick of lumber. (laughs) So the Fed is pumping all this fake money into the system. That's why the equity markets are so high, despite the economy isn't really going, you know, full tilt yet. There's all this fake money going into the system. And I recently saw like a graph of like how much money was put in, talking like several trillions of dollars. Yeah. And I look back in 2018, eight, right, the last time they put the same. It's nothing compared to what it is now. Like, I, I, I think that there is something weird going on that they had to cover it up, but it doesn't really matter. The whole point of here is they throw in a whole bunch of fake money into the system. And it is what it is. The government can create however much money they want. And it's a great way to make our debts from other countries disappear. And we can do this because we control the world monetary policy. So all those people are like, oh, it's gonna end. It's, I don't think it's gonna end. It's just gonna keep going, so get used to it. But what's gonna happen is our money is gonna be devalued. And so what do you wanna do? If there was a storm coming, what would you do? You would the house. But if in this case, there is inflation coming, maybe not in the next few years, maybe not in the next five, 10 years, but it's coming. What do you want, what do you want to do to hedge yourself against that? Well, you want to buy commodities that will, will also go up when the tides go up too. And there's a menu of options, right? Gold, crypto, real estate. I personally will choose the one that's also going to give me cash flow that I can like also like value add. Right. Again, value add like crypto. I'm buying the same thing that a 14 year old kid is buying on his app. Gold doesn't cash flow for me. And I can't leverage this stuff as effectively and prudently as real estate too. And that's another one. And the tax benefits. 
if my crypto goes up 50%, I got to pay half of that to the tax man. If my gold goes up, same thing, but the real estate, I'm able to play these levers and shelter those gains. I don't have to make as much gains. So if my real estate goes up 10% and like my friend's crypto goes up 20%, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm still ahead despite what's in his bank account before he pays the tax. 100%, I agree. And one thing that you have mentioned, but I just wanted to make clear for our audiences that when the Fed is pumping trillions of dollars, that's a lot of money, folks. You'd rather be a borrower because what happens is that if you buy a $100,000 worth of property with $20,000 down and $80,000 of loan, the value of those $80,000 diminishes with time as there is more money circulating the system. So that helps you. Not only that, with inflation, the value of a property also increases in absolute terms. We're building a multifamily apartment right now, and we're getting killed by the price of lumber. And it's just eating into the contingency, and it'll be fine. But it's kind of like one of those things where it's when we build this damn thing, we actually take these stupid pieces of lumber and actually build a house with it, shelter. Like it'll be worth way more because the price of inflation is just going to keep going up and up. It, it is what it is. And I think it's also important to ask, what do you not want to do? Well, what you don't want to do is just sit on cash, yeah. right? Dead equity. Some people will say, well, I have it in my house. I'm like You can also own the same amount of house and you'd be leveraged. Take a HELOC, invest it, get a refinance, pull the equity out, also invest it in more houses. So you're even more hedged against inflation. And this is where it hurts. A lot of people have a lot of equity in their homes. A lot of older people have a lot of equity because that's what they're told to do. And that's the people who are going to just get jerked around by this inflation. And some people say it's like the con- conspiracy theorists say, oh, this is where the Illuminati are like taking money from the poor. And it's like, I don't really quite agree with that, but I don't believe in the boogeyman. But regardless, that's what's happening, right? The poor are getting poor because the poor are unable to put money in things that will go up with what the impending doom is happening. And that's a sad thing. They buy things like iPhone, trucks, depreciating assets. This is going to be one controversial episode but I'm loving it. You're very authentically and I'm enjoying our conversation. Yeah, until I get some of those trolls, right? There is no such thing as bad publicity, Lane. Could you talk to us about, we talked about your journey, we talked about the mindset, but if you were to distill your journey in three or four bullet points, could you talk to us about what is the secret ingredient for success? I think like for me, it was like finding the right tribe. I was investing from 2009 to 2015 all by my lonesome. And I was like, and I'm still an introvert. I thought I was super cocky and smart. And I thought like I was going to get super rich by getting 10 Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loans, 10 turnkey rentals. And then I, I thought that was like my path to financial freedom. Then as I mentioned earlier, that ain't the way to do things. That's not what a credit investors think. But I think one thing is empathy, I feel like is a big thing, like knowing that you're not almighty and you always have an open mind. I'm confident, get me wrong. And I think that's important for people to have, but I'm always listening. I'm always open-minded. Sometimes I have to catch myself, that's wrong. And then somebody said, well, I tried this. And I always have to catch myself because um, I'm like, no, that's wrong. Shut up. 
in my head, I'm like, I don't, I don't actually say that, but I'll think about it and I'll be like, okay, but did, why are they saying that? Do they have any context? Do they have any experience? Perhaps I should listen. Let me go back to the numbers and try to figure this out. That makes sense. As opposed to incredibly like shutting them off. I think that empathy is a big thing. I'm binge watching a lot of this show called Bar Rescue. People watched it. It's like where this guy goes into the bar and he like fixes their problems, puts a new drink menu. And it's always a people person. And you look at the owner, the, the problems always stem from like the owner never has like good empathy. They can't look at themselves and see that they have it, perhaps an issue. And then of course they need to have the ability to kind of change and take accountability. I think that's also the next part is taking accountability that not just blaming it on others. So the ability to change and adapt. If you can change 1% every day after a year, shoot, you're like 27 times better. Lane, it was wonderful talking to you today. But before we go, could you tell us where can people find you? They can go to simplepassivecashflow.com as my website. Got a lot of free goodies there for passive investors. My podcast is Simple Passive Cashflow passive investing and my email address is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Thank you, Lane. There you have it, folks. Today, Lane talked about the path, the traditional path that people are talked about, how 401k is not his favorite investment vehicle, investments, inflation, retiring at 61, and how you can do better. He talked about how you can use real estate for four benefits, accelerated depreciation being one of them, he also talked about empathy, open-mindedness, ability to listen, and confidence as one of the key drivers of his success. Lane, it was a pleasure and honor having you on our call. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.